Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And we are here for Hardcore Church Planning, our uh, interview format podcast. And we have got, as always, a special guest today. Peyton, introduce our guest. Our guest today, and I am honored to have him on here. We had a great time with him when we interviewed him about a year ago. Uh, He's an author I deeply respect. Uh, He has written works that I would say have significantly deepened people's understanding of church planning movements. And his name is Steve Addison. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's good to be back with you. Well, just to introduce a little bit why we have you on here, you've got a new book coming out. It is called, and I'm just going to say it here, and then I'm going to back up and go to your other books for a second. Uh, It is called Pioneering Movements. And the reason that I'm excited about that is because your two other books, you have uh, Movements That Change the World and What Jesus Started. I mean, both of those books, this seems like it is just kind of a, uh, it's the next logical thing to be written based on what you've written before. Yeah, I I did the general introduction and the sort of movements paradigm in in movements that change the world. And then we went deep with what Jesus started and and looked at what did he do and what are the patterns in the New Testament that we can learn from. Uh, This one is about leadership. Pioneering movements is about movement pioneers. But it's not just pitched at leaders because for every movement pioneer you have, there's all sorts of people. Uh, who uh, are part of their team or local churches that are participating in in Jesus' mission to go multiply disciples and churches. Mm. You know, Steve, one of the things that we always like to do when we start out our interviews, because uh, not everyone is going to have heard our previous interview with you, which was actually mm. on our other podcast, the Church Planner Podcast, and uh, and that's our fun one. That's that's the one where we get to cut up a lot more than we do on this one. We well, have to be serious I, I on would, this one. I would say this one's fun, particularly towards the end. Get ready, Steve. Yeah. Well, it's just <laughs> we have to be a tad bit more serious on this podcast. Yeah, because we got to respect your time. Yeah. Otherwise, we get to mess around on other ones. Yeah, like our, our, our last week's podcast was all about Star Wars. So, I mean, come on. Church planning and Star Wars, they go together like, you know, hand it, in a glove. It was, it was about mission, though, Steve. It was. Being missional about Star Wars. Yeah. In fairness. But, 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 but anyway. Glad to know the Anglican Church wanted to release a film on the Lord's Prayer. There you go. Leading into the Star Wars release. And Whoa. The news is, it's a great ad. The wonderful news is uh, the cinema chains banned it. So oh. the Lord's Prayer has been banned. Woohoo! The prequel of to Star Wars, so I, I think that's great news. That's that's that actually news. A, that's a marketer's dream. We love it when our stuff gets banned because oh, yeah. then we get to tell everyone it was banned. But <laughs> anyway, um, one of the things we always like to ask Steve is tell us a little bit about your story of coming to faith and how you got involved in church planning. Okay, well, I'll start with the first one. Um, 
you know, I, I, I was Mr. Cool on the outside and on the inside, I was a troubled young man. Didn't know if life was worth living, if my life was worth living. About 17 and I, uh, I was actually chasing a girl in a, in a church youth group, uh, met a, you know, sort of figuratively speaking, not literally chasing <laughs> after it. And uh, so I found myself at this uh, retreat or camp and, and she must have heard I was coming, she, so she never turned up. <laughs> Smart and, girl. And <laughs> uh, in, in walks one of the meanest, most dangerous looking men I've ever seen. He was an outlaw bikey with the scarred face and the whole bit. He had a criminal record. And I thought, oh, my goodness, there's going to be trouble. The real bikies are here. Uh, he turned around and he had this uh, symbol or the colours of a Christian bike club on his back. And I discovered something had changed this guy's life. Mm. And that's when I began listening and I, I heard about, you know, what Christ had done for me, about a God who cared about me and could, uh, could bring not just purpose and uh, an end to the trouble, uh, but could change me from the inside out, beginning with forgiveness through his death. And so I put my trust in him. And, you know, I'd like to say my uh, lived happily ever after, but some of those same troubles resurfaced in my life, even as a believer. And I, I tried to throw off the faith. It wasn't an intellectual thing. It was just a life crisis as a young man. And I just couldn't get away from Jesus. Well, mm. he, he just kept pursuing me. And finally I surrendered and I said, Lord, you know, whatever it takes, you know, you've done this for me. Um, e even if I'm still a troubled man, I'm going to follow you. Amen. And he began to, ch he didn't just sort of flip me out of my problems. He began to change me from the inside out. And I, I wouldn't have the life I have now, the marriage. Hey, I'm a grandfather for the first time. You know? My family, I just couldn't have just held those things together without his transforming power in me. But the best thing of all is I I've got a relationship with God that lasts forever. Amen. So that's how I came to faith. Great. Oh, and now how did I come to church planting and church planting <laughs> movements? Well, I, I, I was just a law-abiding uh, volunteer, uh, sort of like a youth, in, uh, youth leading intern in, in a large uh, church in Melbourne. And uh, they were putting around, hey, we're growing, we better plant a church. Uh, and uh, all the pastors said, well, that's not for me. And then finally they'd run out of candidates. Someone said, what about Steve? <laughs> <laughs> so I find myself in the senior pastor's office and a wonderful man, Stuart Robinson, and uh, he said, well, do you want to pray about this? And I, I just knew instantly we're supposed to do it. I had never been on my radar. I went home, of course, uh, processed that with Michelle, but she had the same conviction. So we, we went out and planted the first time and, uh, you know, it was, it was great. We had a, a, a solid church behind us. We had a good team and, and God blessed it with growth. But there just came a time where he unsettled me and said, Steve, it's not just about one church plant. It's about a whole new generation of churches to reach this nation. We're based in Australia. And that's when we began to pursue a call to plant again, to come alongside with coaching and resources and just to learn the trade, not just of church planting, but how do we see multiplication happen? How do we see churches planting churches, disciples making church, uh, making di disciples? 
So that transition happened, uh, you know, about a quarter of a century ago. Wow. Um, I think it was after the war. Um, and uh, uh, Never and, talk about the war, Steve. I, I can say that to a, you know, a, a commonwealther. Let's put it that way. And, and somewhere in there, I just discovered this whole concept of church planting movements. Um, and it just gripped me. And uh, so, yeah, it was about, about 25 years ago, I just... I just read everything I could, read scriptures, church history, current, you know, contemporary case studies. I just, and I've kept doing that ever since. I'm, yes, I am an obsessive compulsive when it comes to movements. And I love it. That's why I've got my third book out on movements. Um, and so that's the story. And this is meaty stuff, guys. If you've never read Steve's stuff, it is not fluff, it is not trite, it is well researched. Uh, it is just good stuff. I mean, it's something to sink your teeth in and to kind of trace the patterns of how God's worked. But what I love most probably about Steve is he has the mind of a scholar, but he also has the heart of an evangelist. And you are not just a theorist. You're not just an academic tucked away in your ivory tower. You are actually out. I mean, I get your newsletter. I read mm -hmm. it. You post multiple times a week. I get it every week. Um, and you're out there with, I mean, I've got photographs of you with students, with people groups. I mean, you are there in the UK. And before that, you were in Australia, correct? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you, you were just busy. I mean, you were active in the field with people. Tell, tell us a little bit, because I know the book, um, as you said, it has to do with leadership. And, mm -hmm. and as I uh, watch people talking about multiplication, this is the silence. It it is the, I would say, probably the the missing piece of the puzzle that people are not talking about. Because you can't have multiplication without somewhere there is somebody who's kind of functioning, even if it's behind the scenes, mm -hmm. like a Paul or a Ying Kai, who may mm -hmm. not be at the cutting edge of everything, but they're a catalyst somehow. Tell tell us a little bit about uh, pioneering movements. Okay, well, uh, we just revisit some of the themes of the previous book and, and look again at Jesus as a movement pioneer. Uh, but we just touch on that because that, we've written a whole book on that previously and we look at Peter because I think he's the neglected case study because, you know, Paul looms large. And just see how this is a biblical pattern. You know, not, not every leader is called to be a settled pastor teacher. Yeah, There is this, uh, you know, Let's let's take a city. Let's you know Jesus. Let's visit every town and village in Galilee. Well, there's 175 of them. You know, even Peter. He's 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 not just cooling his hills in in Jerusalem. He's constantly on the move. And after 42 AD, he's he's out of Jerusalem. And, and James, uh, brother of Jesus, is 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 you know senior amongst equal with the elders there. But then, uh, you know, we get into some some examples of what this looks like. And you, you find every now and again I've dropped in a little case study. You know, some obscure guy, Victor Landro, you know, the guy is a bar owner, a, a brothel keeper, um, has three women in his life, um, and he gets wonders, wonderfully, wonderfully saved. And, um, you know, he, so he's pretty rough diamond. 
But then all of a sudden, you know, people from different mission agencies are picking up down there in remote parts of Colombia. They keep bumping into new groups and churches and, and networks of believers, and, and the trail leads back to Victor. Um, these sorts of characters keep popping up in the scriptures, but also today and throughout history. So what, what, are, those, what are those people on about? How does the risen Lord give that gift to the church? Uh, you know, what's their role? How does it partner with, you know, the local uh, church? What's the relationship? We, we look at all those things. Um, and, uh, and the great news is there are examples today. Now, obviously, we can go, you know, something amazing is happening in North India, you know, mission field of half a billion people right now. And so I traveled there and met with a guy called Nathan Shank, who's with the IMB, and his uh, national guys, Indian guys, uh, that have this ministry, you know, they, they, they see hundreds and thousands of new believers in new churches. So, so what I just I heard about Nathan Shank from um, a guy out here in San Diego okay. who said, you know, everybody knows Yinkai Steve Smith, but they're like, you got to know Nathan Shank. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And look, Nathan's not looking for notoriety, but um, he uh, I am just wonderfully impressed with that man. Um, and also, I think a, a great sign of it is I'm wonderfully impressed with the leaders, the national Indian guys that he partners with and invests in. They're movement pioneers. You know, Nathan plays that role. They're playing, and they're the future of the spread of the gospel throughout, you know, North India and uh, Nepal and, and those sorts of places, Bhutan. Um, so God's doing this. So, so I, I want to reflect on the scriptures, but see, how is the risen Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, his dynamic word, how is he at work through these people and what can we learn from them? Now, really great news is we're seeing that pattern uh, displayed in the United States. And, uh, you know, so I spent a lot of, you know, flown over to the States from Australia and spent time with a guy called Jeff Sundell and the people that he's partnering with and again, we're seeing, um, you know, we're beginning to see signs of multiplication of disciples and simple churches with new believers in the U.S. So it's early days. Um, there's still a, lot, a long way to go, but there are good early signs. So I want to tell that story because it's in a Western context and it's not one location in the States. It's multiple locations. Mm. Tell me, you know, what was the uh, the burden that you had that made you want to actually put this book together? What's your your driving uh, purpose behind it, and what you're hoping will will happen when people read it? Okay, well, I I, I did a demin at uh, at Fuller Seminary uh, quite a long time ago, and I did it on on um, apostolic leadership, mm. you know, movement pioneers. So. That's more the it was more the academic thing, but we we looked at some of these case studies and uh, halfway through I realized that the issue is really movements. It's not just you know leadership is a key part of it. Uh, but I thought I better not jump off this dissertation. I better finish the one I started. So <laughs> I did that and sort of put it in the shelf and then really got into movements and wrote a couple of books. Then. Um, 
I had an interesting experience of I'd just, I'd just gone into uh, China to see what God was doing there, and we had some workers there to learn from, from them. And I'd already pretty much finished the first book on characteristics of movements. And I'm coming out and I debriefed with a couple of guys called Smith. Um, now, they're not related. I know it's strange, but they're both called <laughs> Smith, Steve, Steve Smith and Bill Smith. And, and they've been in the center of the action for a long time, even at that point. And I, I just said, well, here's what I've learned. And I gave them my five characteristics. And then I said, and they said, yeah, we're seeing those things. And I felt relieved because these guys really are in the middle of the action. And I said, I think there's a, there's a sixth element. I said, what do you think it is? I think it's apostolic leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, in that Small a sense. Okay, no one's writing scripture today. Right. Uh, no one is a living witness to the physical resurrection of Christ. But these are, you know, we use the word missionary. It's just just the Latin form of the Greek word which we get apostle from. Yeah. But I'm so I think I think there's this, and they just looked at me like, oh yeah, sure. You know, they said, yeah. well, yeah, we got there long ago. Multiplying movement without <laughs> apostolic leadership. You know, absolutely. Now at that point, I thought. Do I rewrite the book? <laughs> no, it's ready to go. I'll just get out. And I made a note. I got to revisit where, where I started about this pioneering gift that, that the risen Lord, Ephesians 4, gives to the church. And, um, and that's what I've done some years later. Oh, that's awesome. So that's, that's why I wrote it. And, you know, I think we've got to do a couple of things in the book. One is we've got to show them this is a legitimate gift to the body of Christ. But we're not going to, you know, anyone who's putting this thing on their business card and wearing a white suit and, say, sending in money, um, there are parts of the world where, you know, you've made up a title of bishop or apostle or all of that, and it could be the Western world or the developing world. It's not about titles and prestige and lording it over the church. It's Paul says, you're going to suffer. Do you really want to do this job? You know, yeah. we're last in the parade here. Um but so defining it as the scriptures define it, and we can think of Paul, but but Paul is just, you know, the shadow, the death and resurrection of Christ, you know, hangs over his ministry, his apostolic ministry. So um, it's not just getting back to Paul, but but Jesus, the pioneer and apostle of our faith. So Amen. it's a reflection of his ministry, and it's a serving, but it is a leadership role. Um, so we wanted to, to define it not just by our experience, even though we're seeing it happen out there. We wanted to define it by through the example of Jesus in the New Testament. That's what I wanted to do, to give people that sense of where does the gift fit, how, do, how does the body of Christ uh, partner with that for the advance yeah. of the gospel. I think that um, one of the things that, that, I, that I'm really impressed with um, is that you know you're kind of seeing uh the the kind of the guy who's mobile who moves around who this mm-hmm. is his thing is pioneering and uh this is this is actually what I do and uh mm-hmm. I I call it ninja church planning because <laughs> mm-hmm. it sounds mm-hmm. cooler it just sounds better and <laughs> yeah, and if you yeah. tell people you're a serial church planner you sound like you're going to murder them so uh, <laughs> it creeps people out a bit but uh, but but the reality is, I I kind of came into this just thinking there was something wrong with me. You know, mm. I would plan a church, and after it was established, I'd feel like, okay, I got to go. 
And mm. the longer I stayed, the more the church stunk. And the quicker I, I, well, I got out of it. You, you're messing it up. Exactly. You're overstaying what you're gifted to do. Because your gift set is yeah. for the beginning. And, we and pin that on you, Peyton. <laughs> well, it's true. Needed to leave. It's one hundred percent true. And yeah. when I I wrote a book called Church Zero, ching, I have to do yeah. that. That's our rule. When yeah. you when you shout out your own, you have to make that noise. Except for you're our guest, you're okay. But okay. Uh, but the deal is that um, it was all about team planting. Yes. And 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 so I even when I wrote that, I didn't really fully understand that these guys who uh, kind of move on that there's a a, a little bit of a almost like a, a, a hindrance. Like when you start having the babies, um, you start slowing down a bit. Um, mm-hmm. It was fine when it was just my wife and I, um, yeah. but once you have babies, like we adopted a special needs infant um, two mm-hmm. years ago and everything because of all the therapies and the hospital visits and she gets pneumonia once a year, um, yeah. you know, on and on everything goes. She has chronic lung disease. I mean, yeah, I could list off all of her, or, uh, you know, stroke, spina bifida, cerebral palsy. I mean, I could just list off, but it slowed us down. I remember yes. talking and I'm, I'm, I'm getting to my question here. Sorry. So yeah, this is good. Mm. I, I remember talking with the North American mission board and I was just speaking with one of the, uh, the mobilizers there. And I said, do you guys employ people, um, who, are uh, like serial planners, ninja planners, guys that are mobile and they're pioneers, like what you're writing about. And they said, yes. In fact, we did that a few years ago. And we found when they got married, settled down, they were typically younger guys. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. once they got married and started having kids, they slowed down and they were trying, they, they became more localized in a region mm-hmm. then. And, uh, and I'm just wondering your take on that. And as you're seeing it in the Western context um, with those guys, Jeff Sundell, the guys that you mentioned, mm. what does it look like for them? How okay. are they making it work? They're continually working themselves out of a job. That's the good news for you. That, you know, in the early days, you know, anybody who wants training, Jeff Sundell will be there. Mm. And he's, he's training just about every night of the week and he's on weekends. But now he doesn't train. He doesn't do that entry-level training because he's continually raising up others. Uh, I've, I've sat in uh, two or three-day uh, communities of practice with Jeff and with his guys. He's sitting up the back the whole time, you know, and someone else is leading at the front. His guys are reporting in, doing the case studies, and Jeff will get up and he, the, what he gives is pure gold. But he's the laziest leader I've ever seen, you know, because in in a godly sense, because he knows, um, like you've found, that you you can't, not only can you not keep up that pace, but that's not enough. It's it's actually, you know, Paul to Timothy, uh, find some uh, faithful people who can teach others also. So Mm. you've got Paul, you've got Timothy, you've got faithful people and the people they're training. That's four generations of leaders. And then you think Paul's got Silas, Aquila, and Priscilla. He's got Titus. Around Paul is maybe a 100 leaders, and he may only know the names of half of them. But there's six or eight who are, you know, that he's actually growing in the harvest field at the coalface. 
So part of it, Peyton, is, is really saying, okay, Lord, you know, even as a cereal planter, maybe before I die, I could do 20. You know, I've got a good couple I know in Australia. They're probably on about their 12th or 13th, and mm. that's wonderful. We're not going to reach the world doing that. So it's a shift to now how can I take my experience and pour myself not into anyone but into people who are faithful and fruitful, teach them to do what I've done. It's um, funny so you that's say my that. Challenge. Become a lazy church planter. It's really funny you say that because that's exactly what shifted for me was mm-hmm. I started feeling more like a Paul than a Timothy. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of went from Timothy, the, the guy who was scared and was doing it, to um, kind of like a Titus and then a Paul. You know, there was this mm-hmm. very perceptive, perceptible shift where suddenly everything, I'd, including this podcast, was about training others and getting them kind of uh, raised up. Pete, did you have something? I see you thinking there. No, no, I didn't. I was actually <laughs> yawning, but you know, thanks for pointing that out. Like it was a bit of gas on my stomach. I, I feel better now, though. <laughs> yeah. And that's precisely what this gift of the movement pioneer does. Um, you know, he's uh, is creating those environments where, uh, you know, there are many on-ramps. Everybody gets to play, you know, uh, and and then um, he's identifying those who are faithful and fruitful and he's investing in those. They're doing the same thing. So pe- people criticize church planning movements. They say, oh, it's all about speed. What, what they don't understand is there's a long, careful process here of, uh, you know, investing in people, uh, training them in the word, you know, helping them discover uh, who Christ is for themselves and begin discipling others. But if you're doing what Paul did, there will come a time where there's a tipping point. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just a numbers game, but this is how God works. And you'll find all of a sudden Paul can say after no more than 15 years in the eastern half of the empire, my job's done. Yeah. And a movement pioneer can say that. Yeah. Um, a guy like Jeff Sundell can say, he's everybody knows. Jeff says, look, I may still live in America, but... You know, my heart's still in South Asia or other parts of the world. So someone else is going to be leading this probably mm-hmm. a year or two. Yep. And uh, I'm, I'm going to have other. So everybody knows that he's doing himself out of a job. And Paul's saying that about that whole, you know, from, from Jerusalem right through to Illyricum. I always have trouble saying that word, but I think it's sort of. <laughs> you did good, brother. You did good. I have this. That's it. Yeah. Romans 15 is one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. passages. So I know I have the same problem. I say Illyricum, but I made Illyricum. that up. That's it. That's but I it. made it up. <laughs> and, um, he said, you're not going to see my face again. Yeah. And, and, but if he, uh, Acts 20, I'm now, you've seen my example. Now I'm entrusting, I'm not leaving you alone, I'm entrusting you to the Word and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, wolves are going to come. You're going to have a lot of trouble, but I'm out of here anyway because that's how you're going to learn. Um, and, and he goes. And so a movement pioneer is, is continually thinking like that across regions and cities. But, you know, you read that Acts 20 and Paul has rolled up his sleeves. He he has, you know, he has done what he wants those elders to do. He's modeled it, evangelism, pastoral care, learning in the word. So it's not some denominational hierarchy here. It's not, he's not some charismatic bishop elevated out of the body of Christ. 
Um, See, Pete, I told you you couldn't be one of those. I keep telling him. I'm so glad you're on here to sort him out. He keeps wanting like superpowers and special hats. And I tell him, I just want the big hat. That's all I really want is the big hat and the nice shoes. Well, Pete's got a question for you. In the life to come, Pete, you know, (laughs) I think think you'll get the reward then. Pete's got a question for you before we we wrap up a bit here. Well, I really enjoy talking to you guys. This is great. Likewise, man. (laughs) You should come around for for our full length podcast, then we have a lot of fun with you. (laughs) So, we have a question that, that everyone actually listens to this podcast for. They're like, yeah, that was some great information. I'll go out and buy the book, no problem. But I really want to hear the answer to the question. So yeah. here's our question for you. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Steve Timmis, who would win? Oh, I, uh, I th- he would. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm a grandfather. Uh, I, I walk a lot, so I'm reasonably fit, but I'm weak ass. Um, and uh, so he would definitely win. You sure, Steve? Because my money was on you. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, you're looking at a man who has, uh, when when his youngest son turned uh, ten, he's now six foot five, and when his uh, oldest son turned twelve, I could no longer beat them at competitive sport. So I I, I have been a long <laughs> period of time under under the hammer as a man. My manhood is under threat, so I I think I would yield. So what you're actually saying is I may not beat him in a fist fight, but I would definitely beat him in a running race. I'd run. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd just call up, uh, you know, two of my lads, six foot five and six foot there one you and go. athletic, and uh, they'd find out where he lives. <laughs> See, that's that's how when you're the man, you get bodyguards. You don't even got to fight anymore. You're like, <laughs> you just snap. Snap your fingers. I like it. Steve Edison snapping his fingers. My boys. Boom. Yeah. All right. Well, we 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 carefully think of who we're going to pit you against, and we figured since you're on the the same continent, the uh, the smack talk couldn't get too serious. But uh, Steve, it has been great having you again. Our guest today has been Steve Addison, uh, all, author of a multiple number of books, including What Jesus Started, uh, Movements That Change the World, and his new book, which I argue will probably be uh, one of the most important important books to the conversation of multiplication specifically because he's hitting it from an angle that many others aren't. They're ignoring this key principle there uh, of, of having a guy who's like a catalyst. And um, so Steve, thanks for coming on. Uh, you can get the book on Amazon, but Steve, if they want to sign up for your newsletter and, you know, kind of connect with you more, is it movenetwork.org? That's our organization. It's a mission agency Michelle and I lead uh, to get the, and they can follow the links, but the most direct way would be at movements.net, movements.net, and they can contact me there and, and, and they'll get all the latest stuff there. That is a beautiful domain name, movements.net, you lucky dog. Thank you. I had to pay money for that, but it was a long time ago, so it wasn't me, too much. Let me guess, you bought it from Ed Stetzer, correct? <laughs> no, I think I think I got it before him. <laughs> he owns all the good ones. He does. Uh-huh. He does. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for coming on again, guys. This has been Hardcore Church Planning. You've been with Pete Mitchell, Peyton Jones, and Steve Addison. Arnold, close us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. 
Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.